Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 21st of November 2011. For newcomers, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's hundreds of audios to download for free and hopefully you'll understand this incredibly deceptive system you're born into and many layers of deception and how rich men a long time ago decided to take over the whole planet. Nothing new in that. Of course, you've, you've got all your great uh, so-called heroes in the past that uh, tried the same thing, uh, tyrants, dictators, etc. Uh, but really, the ones behind this takeover are the moneyed men, the big, big moneyed men. Very, very um, efficient to what they do, for their own plans, that is. And uh, they certainly understand the, the tricks of the trade. They've been behind wars and everything else. And I go through the history of this particular group through the different names they used down through the last few hundred years and to the present time and uh, where they plan to go with it all. And, and, of course, it's not just taking over the world and all of its resources. It's a planned society, planned population across the planet for a new future for themselves, of course, to lord over with a, a decimated uh, population eventually, uh, really declining massively from about now, really, until the year 2050 or so. And they lay it out in stages, uh, including all their wars, too, and campaigns, etc., etc., the amalgamations of countries into big blocks, like the ex-Soviet bloc, like the EU. The EU is just a big, massive Soviet bloc, which is non-democratic, and, and how they're doing the same with uh, America and Canada under the guise of anti-terrorism. We've got to change our whole way of living and uh, amalgamate everything together, which is already underway, has been since 2005, openly. And, uh, of course, out of that comes another trading block, and then the Far East trading block as well. So I do with blocks, you see. And Karl Marx was the first guy, coincidentally, who came up with the idea. It was picked up by uh, the eventually the Royal Institute of International Affairs when they emerged phoenix-like from the old Milner societies, they call themselves them, and were on the road to basically their world order. And as I say, it's a planned society they want. They don't want all the useless eaters from a post-industrial society, and uh, they don't like to keep pets around, you see. Uh, so they plan to kill us off. And they're doing a damn good job because uh, people are dying like crazy cancers all over the place. They've had their food poisoned and tampered with, uh, soaked with uh, pesticides, uh, GM food. We never asked for it, of course. We got it whether we liked it or not. The government's even kept it secret from the populations. Like Canada, we were the test uh, guinea pigs here in Canada. For 10 years, we, didn't, we weren't told that the government had made a deal with Monsanto and others to test this stuff out on the public and follow their health. And it only came out in Canada because it broke out in Britain when Blair at the time wanted to force it upon the British people. It came out that Canada was already using it. Well, that was all news to us in Canada, but that's how the world really is, you see, because your governments are never there to serve you. Never, ever there to serve you. So uh, the, the big shock for people really is to think that everything's happening um, by chance, and if you just get the right people in, it'll all change. Uh, and that, that simply won't happen. It simply won't happen. The system is a fail-safe safe system that you're living in. 
many checks and balances to ensure that it cannot be uh, basically penetrated from within and overtaken. And uh, even when they put a pretense on of changing parties, it's the same bunch generation after generation, who really rule both of them. Again, Rothschild said the same thing. He says, I don't care who's the puppets of, of England. He says, give me charge of the money supply, and I, I rule Britain and, and the empire. So you're actually in it now. Uh, that's really what runs the system, is money, money, money. And it's no coincidence that the scammers have utterly destroyed us all. Uh, it definitely destroyed us all. Nations have disappeared, actually, into the EU and they won't be happy till there's nothing left except no history either, by the way. Nothing's, the EU will begin and all history will begin after 1945. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. Remember too, that you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't spring on advertisers as guests, as guests who, who basically will terrify you, then sell you the antidote uh, to whatever they're talking about. And the ads you hear in this, this particular program are paid directly by advertisers to RBN to pay for the airtime and the staff and equipment and some of their bills as well, hopefully. And... Um, so therefore, I've got a freer hand to say what I want to say. I'm not leading people uh, into anything at all. I don't have shares in any companies either. So I'm not, I don't uh, basically push various products. I've got shares in or, or, or own outright, in fact. <laughs> uh, but that's okay for those who do. Now, so you can buy the books in the discs I have at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can also donate. You find out how to do it on the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Now, this system, as I say, is so deceptive that people get lost in it. They get lost in it. It's, it's, I call it the Matrix because it's like the Matrix movie. There's so many layers and levels to it, so many rooms in it. And everyone in life, it's just like your life too. When you're young, you look for something to identify with or group, whatever, and you, you find your own kind, you might say. And, and uh, sometimes you grow out of that kind and, and move on to another kind, and that's just what you do in life. And it's the same thing in the matrix. You you think you, you understand what's going on. You'll be a, a follower, unfortunately. Most folk will become followers, uh, and they're led by those who have the gift of the gab and who can put out lots of info or pamphleteers or whatever, or newspapers. And uh, that's always been the way for hundreds of years. The people follow, and they generally end up fighting for something they never expected to, to, to actually appear in the form that eventually does appear. So they're never happy about it. They're used, in other words. And you find people like Albert Pike and others have talked about those who follow. They're always used, and they certainly made a, a darn good use of them in the 1700s and 1800s. I'm talking about the Masonic Lodges, for instance, that led revolutions. So you end, never end up with what you, you thought you were going to get. And uh, you're always promised the earth, like any other politician, and you end up with a, a bit of mud that you, you don't own at all, and you're heavily taxed, even if you stand on it. So that's the cons down through history. Most folk are followers, and I try and get people to, to lead themselves first. You cannot lead anybody unless you can lead yourself in life. And, uh, and you must be flexible, too, because if you're ever wrong about something, you have to be able to change tactics when you do find you're wrong. Most folk literally... It's like politics, so the, if their dads voted left or right, they all do the same thing as tradition with them, and they can't ever change. It's, un, it's a sad thing, but very, very unfortunate. But that's the way it really is. But all down through history, um, politicians, 
have had bad names. I mean, the, the ancients in Greeks, Greece even talked about them as being con men, etc. And right through this, in the 1700s, lots of papers, uh, the, the lowest level of, of, of people you could have is a moneylender and a politician. That, that's what you should be in the papers in the 18th century. And they've done, a, they've done a darn good job, especially since television came out, to, to change that whole image uh, again, with the because the group they belong to, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, owns all the, the news media, both television and paper. So they've done an incredible job on whitewashing themselves, and they have oh, they have, they have marketing managers everywhere who constantly give them PR shots and script writers who write read their scripts, uh, write the scripts for them, and you're seeing basically an actor now as a politician. Uh, but behind the scenes, he will fill his own pockets like politicians have done, done, down through the ages, and, and they'll always be the same, I'd imagine. Uh, and they're such hypocrites too, such incredible hypocrites. But, uh, we know, for instance, they're using the climate change, global warming, and, and all this kind of stuff to, as, as part of a strategy to take over the whole world and to get everyone into communitarianism. That's what they call this new form of, of low-level communism, you might call it austerity, etc., where leaders will be chosen for you, by the way, just like the Soviet Union was, these NGO leaders, and you'll have uh, them going off to the bankers for your community. And, you still, and so your community is now on, rather than the nation, the community will be put down as the guarantors to pay off that loan. That's where it's going to come to, to in the end, actually. I've read a lot of their documentation, and this is the way it's been set up. This is what they mean by the, the new Soviet, the proper type of Soviet, and it's all owned by the globalists, the bankers themselves, who've got a lot more in common than just dealing money, believe you me. But then you see a hypocrite here. There's so many hypocrites I could point to and do, do one broadcast after another on hypocrites, but it's about climate change. As we all have to go down into austerity and suffer because of this utter fabricated nonsense of climate change, here's how the politician is, as he's always been. And the climate change minister, can you believe he's a climate change minister? It's, it's like something at like the Old Testament, you know, it's like someone who is in charge of the heavens and all that rubbish. You, know, you understand, it's, just, it's the same kind of thing. So he, this is the climate change minister or politician who's in charge for Britain, right, who pledged to lead by example in the fight against global warming. As, as it says, but Charlie Henry, this is the guy's name, is facing accusations of hypocrisy after buying himself a 20-bedroom castle, well, I think smally, with a potentially massive carbon footprint as his second home. Player Castle in Ayrshire, which went in the market for £2.5 million, has three stories, 16 bathrooms, and a heated outdoor swimming, swimming pool set in 260 acres of beautiful countryside. It says it is likely to rack up colossal energy bills during the cold Scottish winter if Mr. Henry plans to heat all 14 bedrooms. Mind you, he'll get, he'll get uh, allowances for that from the government to get incredible allowances, etc., for these spoiled little two-faced brats. Anyway, it says two kitchens and four reception rooms in the main castle. There's also an additional east wing containing another four bedrooms and a two-bedroom housekeeper's flat. Because they need lots of servants, you see. They call themselves public servants, these, these liars, and, 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 you know, in their $10,000 suits. They call themselves servants. I think we should all become servants, public servants, don't you? And then we could all put bids in for castles and things and scam our expense accounts. 
Anyway, it's a recipe for a huge carbon footprint, even before refactoring in Mr. Henry's drive from his Sussex constituency, which is a 965-mile round trip. He'd probably get a chopper for that. As he's a 52-year-old minister, has been criticised for his purchase of the home, as his portfolio includes encouraging homeowners to cut their energy use. You can understand, he's talking about a different kind. There's humans, then there's, there's the cattle. He's talking about the cattle have to go into austerity. Not, not for his kind, you see. In his speech last September, he says, We have pledged to be the greenest government ever. That's to make everybody green with envy at this castle. We must lead by example. Leadership from government departments is something we cannot and will not shirk, he says. We're not asking others to do things we will not do ourselves. Anyone who votes for politicians is an idiot. As far as I'm concerned, I really do mean that. I honestly do mean that. You're an idiot. Absolute idiot. If you're going to do something, you've got to do it yourselves. Simple as that. Simple as that. History teaches this over and over and over. Anyway, that is a castle for, for the guys. It's kind of like Paturi at the top. He's getting all this United Nations money coming in uh, and, and subsidies and, and grants. and He's grabbing them all. He's got all these businesses all over India using slave labor. It's just the usual stuff. Nothing changes, does it? It really doesn't. It really doesn't change at all. And then we have, uh, I can remember when Michael Moore came out, suddenly the champion of the working classes, it can astonish me. And uh, Michael Moore, of course, has, has got some amazing friends in, in Hollywood. He's been involved in so many scandals themselves. But anyway, he, he it eventually turned out after the last big hoopla as, as a champion that he had a lot of his money invested in Halliburton that was getting all the war contracts for across the Middle East. Anyway, here's another article. Luxury 99% of Americans can only dream of Michael Moore's stunning waterfront mansion revealed. And it says here, he's the booming voice of the Occupy protests, encouraging activists to continue their battle against the wealthy 1% of Americans like himself. eh? (laughs) But it seems left-wing documentary maker Michael Moore has been uncharacteristically quiet about one thing, his own wealth. When Moore has denied he's amongst the top earners in the country, tax records show he owns an extensive property in one of the the country's most elite communities. Conservative blogger Andrew Breitbart posted the details Thursday detailing Moore's large holiday home. This is his second home to a holiday home on Torch Lake, Michigan. The documentary film owner, um, maker owns the luxurious Lakeside Escape in addition to his pricey Manhattan residence. It says the suspicious 10,000 square foot property is a far cry from the scene of tightly packed tents near Wall Street in New York City. Yeah, is it, it only? But again, you always get the followers. They, guys say the right things, and away they go. Away they go. As I've always done down through history, you know. There's nothing, nothing changes. Sad. It's so sad that nothing changes. Folk can't think, you know. Someone comes up and voices what you've been thinking, and, and you think, well, okay, he's a leader. He's, and you follow him. It's never worked in the past. Why would you think it would work now? Now, it's so bad in some countries now, like Britain, uh, that you have to work without pay if you want a job. It says young job seekers told to work without pay or lose unemployment benefits. It says so if you're kicked out of your job and you get another one, you have to work for free for a while. It says, um, it says uh, Kat Riley was currently complete, completing three weeks at Poundland, working five hours a day. It says the jobless young people are being sent to work for supermarkets and budget stores for up to two months for no pay and no guarantee of a job, the Guardian can reveal. So two months for nothing. Right? Under the government's work experience program, they can call slavery anything, can't they? Eh? 
Work Experience Programme. Young job, job seekers are exempted from national minimum wage laws for up to eight weeks and are being offered placements in Tesco, Poundland, Argos, Sainsbury and a multitude of other big-name businesses. Uh, you understand, too, that the big... When these big chain store ideas came along, they started off in Germany before World War II. And then they're all closed down during the war. And then the mum and pa's came back. And then, of course, after the war, all, all the big chains came back. The idea is they come in, they undercut all the local uh, mum and pop stores uh, and all the other businesses, they put them out of business, but undercut, then they jack up their, 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 their money, the prices, as soon as they're in power and there's no competition. This has been going on forever. You know, and uh, I can't. I try not to visit any of them at all if I can help it. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix and. You know, you can learn some things to do in country, in your own country from other countries. Once in a while, you can learn something that works. Uh, and here's something here to do with China. This is a tycoon sentenced to death in real estate funding scam. So a real estate tycoon in Lishua, Zhejiang province, was received a death sentence for legally raising 5.5 billion yuan, the $800 million from, their, from the public, reported the procuratorial daily on Monday. And it says five other shareholders and senior managers from the Lishua Yente group received death sentences with reprieves and imprisonment. It says the Lishua Yente Real Estate Investment Company group was founded in 2002, has several subsidies and branches in Zhejiang and Jiangxi and Hunan provinces. From 2003 to 2008, Lishua Yente Real Estate Group concealed its continual losses while using advertising to convince the public it was profiting. So anyway, there's the, the head honcho there, uh, put a message to the rest of them because he'll he lose his head over it, no doubt. And uh, so you can learn things from other countries. Uh, think, we can get ripped off and, and by the biggest banks on the planet and nothing happens about it. In fact, they get rewarded by our tax money. Isn't that a difference altogether? It's really, really a different system, isn't it? Strange, that. Strange. But... Uh, that's what works, of course, because that's a message to send to the big boys what will actually happen to them if they're actually caught. And so you can learn things. So sometimes multicultural ideas are really, really good. And you can learn a lot. Now, we know, for instance, now that with all these free trade pacts that are just rattling up one after the other, the Pan-Pacific and all the rest of it that they're doing and have done, actually, uh, we know that all your food stuff, what's left at home, is going up on the big global markets now, you see. And all the tariffs are, that used to protect you from importing uh, stuff from other countries and kept your own farmers going are just getting tossed by the wayside altogether. That makes you helpless, you understand, when you can't grow your own. But when you look into the United Nations and all the other organizations, World Trade Organization, etc., when they... It's so double speech I mentioned last week. When you look into what they mean by uh, you're, you're able to survive uh, food-wise, good food policies, etc., they actually mean if you have enough money to import your food, not to grow it. Isn't that amazing? But it's worded completely differently. You never imagine that if you actually saw it. 
So they're going to put your, of course, the big boys are going to own everything, the water, food, you name it. And that's always been their, their agenda. All minerals, all foodstuffs, water, everything that you need to live or make something is going to be owned by them. Most of it already is. And they put the farmers out of business in 1945 with government intrusion and then enviro intrusion added to government too. If you have cattle poops, my God, there's E. coli. Oh, my goodness. Meanwhile, there's deer and wild wolves getting reintroduced and all the rest of it. They poop all over the place. But, of course, that's a different kind. of That's holy poop, you see. Anyway, uh, it says here, whether derivatives evolve as risk mitigation device. So now... Your food and weather combined. This is a big con, as I've mentioned before, especially in a time of weather warfare and weather manipulation. It says, weather derivatives originated in the late 1990s by recently deregulated U.S. energy companies looking to mitigate revenue loss to adverse temperatures have evolved to become a multi-billion dollar worldwide business. Understand if they can prove your crops won't grow because they know what's coming up inside your uh, ideas, like from the Air Force, then uh, they'll notice to bet on the loser and bet it's going to lose and down it goes. Today, observers and proponents say the weather derivative market serves numerous business sectors as regions, as well as a host of risks. Those advances, they note, are the primary reason for the number of uh, weather derivative contracts written globally last year, and they reached more than 1.54 million through March, a record for the market according to the Washington-based Weather Risk Management Association. The total value of those contracts rose as high as $45.24 billion in 2006, the year after Hurricane Katrina, and totaled $11.82 billion last year, according to the association. So everything you've got, not just your pensions and everything, gets tossed around this big casino of the stock market. Uh, derivatives, too, are going, up going the same way, uh, betting on a crop failure, etc., 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 because they've got inside info on the weather and what's coming up. Not the stuff that you get on your daily news, of course. And it's, it's quite interesting, too. I've got a link here to the, to the Euro Summit and President Herman Van, I don't know if you call him Rumpoy or Rumpuy, uh, but he, he gave a big speech there, and I'll put that up tonight, too. All these links I'll put up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and if, you've got, if you can stay awake, you can go through his speech. Uh, it's just like something out of the old Soviet Union when you actually read it. Now, in India, it was a few years ago there that uh, uh, the Rothschilds took over the farming industry in India. And, uh, in fact, uh, Rothschild's wife came on some national television shows and talked about this, that they're investing heavily into their own farming in India because, you see, they also have, as sidelines, their own um, GM companies and, and chemical companies too. And, and they've poisoned lots and lots of the land in India. But in India, it was traditional farming for, for thousands of years, really, and they didn't need to get money for chemicals. They could collect their own seeds. Well, now, now they're really, again, like everybody else now, they're under the master's thumb, basically, or the master's boot. And this is what's happening in India. It's happening again. It says the record suicide rate amongst farmers in India continues to rise and is threatening the country's stability and future development, according to campaigners. They're blaming the government's policies for the agrarian crisis and are demanding it takes urgent actions. More than a quarter of a million farmers have killed themselves, a quarter of a million, in the last 16 years in what is the largest recorded wave of suicides in history because they're forced to buy this seed and all the chemicals that go with it and they can't afford it. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix talking about what's happening across the world as this world order takes hold. It's the same world order everywhere run by the same people. But in India, of course, the, the, the suicide rate has been going up for over years because they're being forced on to these uh, genetically modified seeds uh, for crops and they're going, to buy all, they're going to buy all the chemicals that go with it and uh, they go into debt, it says, to buy the hybrid seeds and which are often unsuited to the harsh and temperamental Indian climate. Since they sold these seeds, uh, modern seeds and modern chemicals, and have to take on large debts to buy them. The problem is they need lots of water, which is in short supply. A lot of it's actually polluted now. They've already had exposes on the groundwater there, uh, right for miles around in some of these areas, is totally polluted with the chemicals uh, that uh, Monsanto and others have been supplying them with. The problem is they need a lot of water, which is in short supply, and when the crop is poor and they have to repay the money lenders, they despair and commit suicide. Isn't that the history of the world, eh? Mr. Tiwari says that suicides are a symptom of a wider crisis in the countryside. India has one of the fastest growing economies in the world, but its roots are in the countryside, and much of it is being left behind. Well, I guarantee you they'll do away with a lot of them there. There'll be nothing but Rothschilds. And when rationing comes out like it will across the world, they'll starve a lot of them to death too, because they have plans for India, especially taking down the population. And um, and they're well they're, they're well on their way. I actually, I've noticed another article too recently where that they were talking about uh, trying they're clearing thousands of these farmers off the land. You see, because they want to put factories in and all the usual stuff. And uh, uh, they're actually calling them not just terrorists but Maoists. You know, like Maoist uh, Tong, the Chinese. Uh, that's a movement in itself. But uh, they try to blame them as terrorists and communists. But they're, they're farmers, for goodness sake. It's the last thing you get in farmers really is communism. Any excuse will do. Just tar, tar your enemies, and then the rest of the folk will ignore them or the problems that they're having until they are starving themselves because there's no farmers left or you're importing it from other countries. So anyway, um, it's, it's been a horror story in India, and there's much more horror to come there because they say they've got big, big plans for it. And uh, there's so much corruption there too amongst officials that it's easy to get laws passed, etc., by the big boys. Not that they have much problems in, in any other country either, I suppose, really. Now, this whole idea with, with global warming, uh, climate change, uh, they've covered everything, uh, basically, by climate change. Climate change just means changes in the weather. It used to get day-to-day and month-to-month and year-to-year. But now it's a, it's a terrible thing to, be, to, to worry about, apparently. We never, we never had weather before all this started. I guess we've had some continuous nothing, I suppose. But, but since they discovered global warming, uh, apparently we've got all these problems. But who's really backing it, too? It's the same big companies, of course, that back everything else, uh, that work for the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the global bankers. Big oil money funds the warmest, confusing attack machine. It says Pew Charitable Trust is an influential progressive think tank with $5 billion in assets. Uh, what was the Pew Center on Global Climate Change has lost, has lost the Pew name and funds and become the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions. So it's actually still run by the, the same 
organization, these foundations and fronts for the oil boys. Pure used to supply $3.5 million of the center's current $4.4 million annual budget. Instead, in complete green purity, Royal Dutch Shell, PLC, Hewlett-Packard Company, and Entercore will be the principal founding sponsors for the new C2ES. So that's who's funding the green movement at the moment. Desmog, Desmog's a big site immediately denounced them and declared that all of their pronouncements are automatically biased since they are now oil-funded deniers. And it says, or maybe not, if Shell had sponsored a skeptic, Desmog would have turned it into a high-rotation ritual chant. But apparently, if the evil oil money funds unskeptical groups, that's quite legitimate. Why? Because they say they are independent. They say, they don't prove it, but they say they're independent. Industry sponsors must agree that the centre maintains independent judgment, Clausen said. Every one of these companies does some things we don't like, Clausen said in an interview. They've got trade associations to do their bidding, and they've got lobbyists. They view their association with us as different because we are, in fact, independent. That was from Bloomberg's uh, little statement on it. Naturally, Heartland says it's independent, too, and none of their donors provides more than 5% of their income, and they are one of the only NGOs who did declare their income transparency until it became clear few of the others would follow. So they're all raking in the cash from these big oil companies, but they won't publish what their income is. As usual, the ad hominem argument shows itself to be a singularly pathetic tool to sort out reality, like sifting sand with a hammer or chopping wood with a fork. It's a true choice of the confused. As Steve Malloy says, Enviro double standard on funding, Exxon bad, Shell good. Pew got a mention under green groups in the climate change scare machine chart. And it's got, it's got the, the scare machine chart here. I'll put these links up tonight as well at cuttingthroughthematrix.com after the, this broadcast. Now, it's so sad that everything's gone the way that Orwell said it would go. He, he knew it because he was, he was actually taken out from university. All the, the British spies and those who had big roles to play in the future were recruited at the, 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 you might call them Ivy League types things in Britain, the big universities. They called, used to call them granite stones there. And, uh, where the ordinary folk went to brick, red brick universities. Then the big, the big shots used to make fun of that. But anyway. Um, Orwell said that, and he was trained and, and, and recruited, as I say, by uh, people who recruited lots of spies for Britain to go over and fight in the Spanish Revolution. And then he, when he was over there, he found out that his indoctrination was wearing off and the communists seemed to be working with the globalists in much a, a bigger fashion than they'd ever thought. And they had nothing in common at all with uh, what he thought was the socialist parties of Britain. Now they do, of course, they're all merged together. But anyway, he did mention doublespeak and, and all these different beautiful terms he came out with. And he eventually went on to be a propagandist at the BBC. He wrote, he wrote about it and he ran a massive propaganda department for the BBC and international BBC during World War II, even convincing people who were left with the scraps and austerity. You see that austerity during World War II for the peasants in Britain. He told them how, he came up with recipes to tell them how good it was for them, much better than it was than eating roast, roast beef and stuff like that, you know. And he admits that all in his books, how easy it is to do. But, um, he mentioned too that eventually in his book 1984, there'd be cameras and trees in, in the countryside. Well, we already have them, by the way. But, but it's bad enough when you already have them. Uh, now you have your, your police forces all into this, High tech, they get unlimited funding now, you see, for their, their toys and goodies. 
they're, they're all Canadian mounted police. The guys that used to be kind of looked up to here during the Cold War because they, they did go after a lot of spies. And most spies that went into the U.S. from abroad came into Canada first. It was the easiest place to come into and, and establish a background for yourself as a legitimate citizen and then hop into the U.S. and spy. So they're, off, they're on their toes then, but now, of course, that's over, and now you've got more of the bureaucracy's mind and, and again, expanding uh, their, their areas of, uh, of influence. RCMP cameras with crime photos are found in trees. It says... A British Columbia man has seized two surveillance cameras he says the RCMP had hidden in trees near his trailer home, and they're full of images from previous crime scenes and investigations. Dion Nordic of Grand Forks told CBC News Tuesday he found the motion-activated cameras in June in trees overlooking the trailer he rents. They're now in his lawyer's possession. Nordic said he took the cameras down, removed the memory cards inside, and found pictures of himself and his friends coming and going from his trailer among the 200 images on the cameras. The motion-activated cameras uh, are commonly used by hunters to capture images of game in the wilderness, as the type that the RCMP use, motion-activated. There were also pictures of drug busts, previous drug busts in other places, suicides and assaults, and it looked like they just hadn't been erased off the cards, said Nordic. He said he saw a photo of a dead body and images of a woman who was a apparent victim of an assault. He says, that corpse that I viewed as someone's loved one, he says, those pictures of that woman standing in her brassiere covered in bruises. She probably had a hard time letting the police take those pictures. She probably had a hard time going to the police, said Nordic. The cameras even had pictures of police installing the devices in the trees. He said he was alerted to the cameras because they used a flash when they were filming. I would, you shouldn't have said that because now they want more cash from the government or tax money, of course, to, to get ones that don't need the flash. Anyway, I would say it's 100% sloppy police, police work. It's Charlie Brown technique, I would say. Nordic said he believed RCMP installed the cameras in the trees because he's a graffiti artist and wanted to track his movements to help determine if he'd been spray-painting tags around the community. He said the RCMP raided his home in June and told the local media they found evidence of a grow-up but no actual marijuana plants. They also found spray paint and stencils, which they took, he said. So anyway, his, his lawyers got the stuff there and the RCMP are asking for them back. <laughs> but there you go. You never know what's happening. You'll never know if you've been targeted either. You never, ever know. Somebody doesn't like you and they report you and you've got nothing to do with any crime whatsoever. But uh, that's all they need now is to go out and, and bug your place or uh, put cameras up and watch and all the rest of it. It's rather sad what it's come to in Canada. And we know that in Australia, Australia, they've got big plans for Australia because of the Pacific Rim region, that group they have there now. That was mentioned, by the way, uh, by uh, the historian Carl Quigley, when he broke down the different departments of the Council on Foreign Relations or Royal Institute for International Affairs, same group, that, that uh, is, when they first formed it, they immediately set up one for the Pacific region. And really every member of parliament in New Zealand and Australia uh, have been members of uh, really the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And how they planned these big power blocks back in the early 1900s and the European bloc, the United Americas, the Pacific Rim region, and uh, we're living through the end of this whole agenda. Well documented by a professional historian and a professor who taught at the State Department. He was well up there. Anyway, it's all happening. Australia at the very heart of the New Pacific region, it says. 
It says um, uh, that, uh, well, basically it says, Nelson used to say that uh, during a historic speech to the Australian, Australian, Australian Parliament, he'd already told his national security team to draw up plans. Mr. Obama gave his strongest vow to date about more U.S. involvement in our economic zone. The Daily Telegraph reported. He also promised planned cuts to U.S. defense spending to tackle the country's debt crisis. It's not really he's transferring it to other other things like the, the new missile that doesn't make any noise, that supersonic, uh, uh, hypersonic missile they're calling it. Would not apply to the Asia-Pacific, where existing bases would be strengthened with a greater and more flexible military presence. See, the U.S. had so many bases in Japan, and they pulled them out because of the radiation that they're putting, on, putting the rest of them in Australia. They already had a bunch in Australia, but they're putting more in there too. So the hawkish push into the region was met with a frosty reception from Beijing. Chinese officials yesterday questioned the U.S. plan, accusing it of flexing its muscles over the South China Sea issue. The move may not be in the interest of countries in the region, a spokesman for the China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said. So anyway, it's funny too that, that uh, the whole plan for Obama's visit uh, was found in a gutter the whole outline of the plan, what door he would get out of each car, left or the right, with each each visit he made, and and the whole the whole thing was uh, just tossed in a gutter, and uh, this shows you what the Aussies think. I think of uh, maybe the the plans altogether. But anyway, uh, it's amazing how this world order, as I say, has been written and and put out in books in the 1900s, early 1900s, by the group who still manage all your media, all your banks, because you see the Royal of International Affairs came out of the Milner Group was comprised solely of international bankers. And they, they own everything, still today. And the Eurozone crisis. European Union prepares for the great, the great leap forward. I told you they'd use all this crisis to, to even integrate it further. And so it's, it's spiraling into control. And, and you're living through it today. It's not out of control. It's doing exactly what it's meant to do. It says the Eurozone crisis and the great leap forward uh, Eurozone ministers, including Angela Merkel, are desperate to chart a strategy for the survival of the euro. As the skies over Euroland darken, at least the jokes in Brussels are getting better. At a recent gathering to discuss the crisis that threatens to unravel the euro, one former member of the European Parliament observed acidly they ought to give this year's Charlemagne Prize for services to European unity to the bond markets. Who has done more for the cause of uniting Europe, in other words? So the bond guys, the crashes, have done their best to make sure. No, you don't pull Europe apart again. No, you bring it closer together. As I said, they would. The black humour was a way of stating a bold truth. In the de facto capital of the European Union, the ongoing near-death experiences of the European single currency is concentrating minds in unprecedented fashion as governments across southern Europe buckle under the pressure of paying back their debts at ever higher interest rates. Uh, and even formerly respectable economies such as France and the Netherlands feel the chill wind of market scrutiny. The custodians of Europe's future have belatedly found their voice. So it's, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? So the more crisis they create, rather than do what you would think would be the, the, the common sense thing and just pull it all apart again, oh no, you've got to go into the hole deeper and, uh, and bind it through laws, more and more laws, until you couldn't possibly ever get out. So it's on Friday, David Cameron rushed between overseas meetings with three key players in his monetary psychodrama. Angela Merkel, leader of the only country with the economic heft to sort the mess out, Jose Manuel Barroso, the Portuguese president of the European Commission, which is charged with giving Brussels a plan for salvation, and Herman van Rompuy, I call him Rompuy, whether he likes it or not, the hitherto invisible president of the European Union, and it's amazing too is that you have an invisible president basically 
the guys, it's not a, a democratic system. It was never intended to be democratic. And it's just to the intergovernmental body that will ad- adopt that plan. So, uh, Cameron hoped to extract a promise that the city, that's the city of London, will not be targeted by a future financial transactions tax. Also, it's no bad. It's for, for the guys who, who, who own the whole system, you know, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and all the banks that they own and everything else, they won't be taxed with, with, with any taxes that come out of the EU. And also, it's a pledge that countries such as Britain are outside the Eurozone, they will retain their influence in the turbulent times ahead. What a joke. You know, it's a goal coming in. It'll be forced in. So, everything's going according to plan and, uh, uh, and it seems like chaos if you stand and look on the horizon, if you stand on the same plane as, as all the media throwing stuff at you, it all seems like chaos. But it's not. Just get above it all and you'll find how one thing links to the next thing and to the other thing and the opposite thing and so on. And you'll see that they're bringing in this world order perfectly. Perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And Africa, it says, leads a climate push as its people go hungry. Understand all the loans that go to Africa... Uh, through the Overseas Economic Development Corporation, every government's got one under the United Nations and the World Bank, as, as we are put down as, uh, as guarantors to pay off these debts which the Africans cannot pay. I mentioned that last week. So, says Africa, there's, there's big strings attached to all its loans to Africa or anywhere else. It says Africa leads climate push as its people go hungry. And it says Africa is leading the push for clean energy. See, they've been told, yeah, we'll give you this cash, but you, you must sign this agreement not to use coal and this and that, and all, or, or even wood, I guess, for cooking. Uh, you must use all that is environmental-friendly uh, stuff. We'll sell you gas and stuff like that, and tanks probably. And you've got to get little uh, solar panels to, to light your, use your light bulb. I watched a documentary about that where they actually give them a loan and this little, for this little clinic, a uh, health clinic uh, somewhere in the bush. And all I could put on with it was one light bulb. That was the help they got. I'll be back with more on the story after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and talking about how, how the IMF and so on give out these loans, but it comes with lots of strings attached, and you've got to go into clean energy, and of course then they tell you which energy companies are going to supply all the equipment to create the so-called clean energy, and it says the African Development Bank is financing Africa's, that's through the IMF by the way, uh, Africa's biggest wind farms on the shores of Lake Turkana, one of the windiest places on earth. The $1,819 million project aims to produce 300 megawatts, or probably produce a fraction of that, of electricity per year, boosting Kenya's energy supply by 30%. This is a PR uh, blurb here, obviously. Toyota and Hyundai are building a fourth geothermal power station in Nevashi, 100 kilometers northwest of Nairobi. We see across the continent both a realization of how threatening climate change really is, oh, of course it's PR, 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 and also the inevitability necessity that governments have an interest in beginning to put their own and development priorities on a different trajectory, said Steiner. So I guess he's got something to do with uh, the transfer of cash to them on all these conditions. So it says $211 billion was invested in renewable energy, the majority of it in the developing world, Steiner said. So this is all from the IMF, really, as a, as a, 
rah-rah kind of thing. And in Britain, this comes out every year by the same woman. It says, um, sex offenders, including paedophiles, should be allowed to adopt, Theresa May is told. Uh, rules which bar sex offenders from working with children are unfair. They're unfair, and even convicted paedophiles should have the right to adopt, a leading legal academic has said. And uh, it goes on to talk about it, uh, Helen Reese, etc. I think it was, it was last year it came out, Helen Reese, a reader in law at London School of Economics. Where else? You look at the history of London School of Economics and how it's had a massive impact. They train the left wing and the ones that help cause chaos across the, the planet so that the right wing uh, can merge with them and bring out the answer. And uh, that's her job, obviously, is to keep pushing and pushing for these poor souls, or these poor tortured souls, uh, to adopt children, you know, their targets, you know, and 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 get the cops off their back. Then there's a White House, and something fishy it says about the White House investing $433 million in a smallpox vaccine. Why? Why, eh? It says, um, how could a multi-million dollar investment in an antiviral pill that could cure smallpox be scandalous? Part of the reason lies in the word could. The drug has never been tested on humans, but the U.S. is buying it anyway. See, smallpox was all but eliminated in 1978, and the U.S. already has vast stockpiles of the original vaccine. Why would the current administration push so vigorously to invest millions of dollars in what could rightly be described as an unnecessary and an untested drug? As the saying goes, follow the money. The company that scored the federal contract is called Siga Technologies, and they won it through a sole source procurement. They're the only company that will be doing business with the feds. So, so somebody's paid a high kickback to get the sole, the sole source uh, procurement uh, thing put through. No one else can compete with them, in other words. And here's the best part. The controlling shareholder of Sega Technologies, billionaire Ronald O. Perelman, one of the world's richest men and a long-time Democratic Party donor, reports the Los Angeles Times. Moreover, back in June 2010, Sega named Andrew Stearns, former head of the SEIU, to its board. That certainly raises some eyebrows. Surprisingly enough, the deal gets even more suspicious. It says, in a Solyndra-esque tale, White House officials overrode bureaucrats who advised against the deal and Sega's high price replacing government negotiators and blocking other companies from submitting competing bids. And you think you've got a, a free and democratic system, eh? It's all corrupt. You know, the whole system worldwide is corrupt. You understand that? You, you can't fix something that's broken like this. You can't fix it. it. won't happen. Plus, the culture's now degraded and corrupt too worldwide. By design, actually, you are forced into this path. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada... It's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. Remember, help buy the books and discs and donate because I really need it now. Thank you very much. See you tomorrow. <laughs>